Well, good morning, everyone, and again, uh, welcome to church this morning. It's great to uh, see you, and if you're visiting with us this morning, a very special warm welcome. It's great to have you with us, and we hope and pray that your time with us this morning will be a blessing. If you'd like to open your Bibles, please, we're going to be looking at Psalm 7. We're going through our summer series in the Psalms, and a big thank you to Derek, one of our elders here who's been preaching the last couple of weeks. And uh, again, I trust that God has really spoken to you through his word. So Psalm 7 from verse 1 through to verse 17, and this is the word of the Lord. A Shigion of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning Cush, a Benjamite. O Lord, my God, I take refuge in you. Save and deliver me from all who pursue me. For they will tear me like a lion and rip me to pieces with no one to rescue me. O Lord, my God, if I have done this and there is guilt on my hands, if I have done evil to him who is at peace with me or without cause have robbed my foe, then let my enemy pursue and overtake me. Let him trample my life to the ground. And make me sleep in the dust. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Rise up against the rage of my enemies. Awake, my God, decree justice. Let the assembled peoples gather around you. Rule over them from on high. Let the Lord judge the peoples. Judge me, O Lord according to my righteousness, according to my integrity, O Most High. O righteous God, who searches minds and hearts, bring to an end the violence of the wicked and make the righteous secure. My shield is God Most High, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge, a God who expresses his wrath every day. If he does not relent, he will sharpen his sword, he will bend and string his bow. He has prepared his deadly weapons, he makes ready his flaming arrows. He who is pregnant with evil and conceives trouble gives birth to disillusionment. He who digs a hole and scoops it out falls into the pit he has made. The trouble he causes recoils on himself. His violence comes down on his own head. I will give thanks to the Lord because of his righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. Well, would you please join with me in prayer? Father, what a great joy and delight it is to meet together as your people on the Lord's day, to worship you, to hear your word, Lord, to be reminded of your great love for us in Christ. And as we have just sung, Lord, we are weak and we persevere because you persevere with us. It's not I, Lord, but it's Christ who is in us. 
We don't endure simply because of our own strength, but because of your strength that is at work within us. We pray that, Lord, you would bless us now as we sit at your feet and as we listen to you speak to us through your word. May your Holy Spirit open our ears, give us understanding, and give us the strength and the power to obey. Lord, bless us, we pray, for we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, while I was away on holidays, I heard a preacher give, I think, a really good illustration, which I wanted to share with you. It's of a man who worked in a circus, and in particular, on the trapeze. And he was explaining to a pastor the reason why he and his fellow trapezers could perform such daring feats of putting their lives literally into the hands of another person while they flew in midair and performed all kinds of tricks and flips. Because if the other person failed to properly catch them, then the result would obviously be disastrous. But the reason, he said, that they could take such risks, that they could perform all these tricks and flips and everything, is because, he said, they knew they had the safety of a net. That was what gave them the confidence to push the boundaries and to entrust their lives into the hands of another. Because they knew that if they fell, they wouldn't die. They knew that they would be caught. Now, I think what makes that such a powerful and pertinent illustration for us is because it's the same for us as Christians, isn't it? We can step out in faith and we can endure all kinds of trials and indeed suffering because we know ultimately that we have the safety of God's love and his protection. That in his divine sovereignty, not even a sparrow falls from the sky apart from his will. It's a profound and I think somewhat painful lesson, though, that we all go through at one point or another. Because the Lord purposefully brings us to a point where we have to completely entrust ourselves into his hands. We see a great example of that in the Bible reading we had just a little earlier, which Ian read to us from Matthew 14, where Jesus and then subsequently Peter walks on water. Christ's power is so great that he is completely in control over everything in creation, even the chaos of the sea. However, Peter immediately starts to sink when he takes his eyes off Jesus and he sees the danger of the wind and the waves. As Ian reminded us at the start of the service, that's the problem, isn't it? Is when we take our eyes off the Father and we look instead to our circumstances. That's when we start to doubt. The wind and the waves were always there but his circumstances became greater than the righteous one who is the Lord and master over all things. When Jesus rescues Peter from drowning, though, he lovingly rebukes him for doubting and for not continuing to have faith, of not remembering that there was a net underneath him the entire time. And so even walking on water 
in the midst of a storm is no excuse for him to falter in his faith. Now, there are all kinds of storms that we face as Christians, isn't there? Sometimes it's sickness and a particularly severe disease or illness. Other times it can be financial difficulty and the insecurity or the questioning um, or the fear that can come with that. I think one of the most difficult and also most common, at least in the Bible, is that of personal opposition. The presence of people who seek to do us harm and might oppose you in all kinds of ways and in different kinds of circumstances as well. I think that kind of trial can be one of the most difficult to endure of all, can't it? Especially when it comes from people that you might know and trust. But that's the context of which Psalm 7 was written. And it's no uh, surprise to God that this was going to be the case. This was part of God's plan for David. The subtitle says that it was a shigion, which is a term which only appears here in the Bible and unfortunately no one really knows the meaning of. What we do know for sure is that Psalm 7 is a song about one of David's opponents who belonged to the house of Saul. Saul had often tried to kill David. And especially after he knew that David was going to succeed him as king, he repeatedly tried to get rid of him. But David never took personal revenge, even when he had the opportunity to do so. Take, for example, in 1 Samuel chapter 24, Saul goes into a cave to relieve himself. And it just happens to be the cave in which David himself is hiding in. Now, David at this point could have easily taken Saul's life. But he didn't because he knew that Saul was the Lord's anointed. And he was even conscience-stricken, David was, for cutting off just a corner of Saul's robe, which he had done completely unnoticed. David had the opportunity, though, and those with him even encouraged him to do so, saying that it was God's providence to get rid of the one who was trying to kill him. Now, how do we respond when we are treated badly by others? What should we do? And why does the Lord even allow such a painful thing as this to occur? Well, those are some of the questions which are behind this particular psalm that we're going to be looking at this morning. And inspired by the Holy Spirit... David answers those questions by relating them back to the theme of God's righteousness. The righteousness of God appears three times in this particular psalm. If you have your Bibles open, you'll see it in verse 9, then in verse 11, and then finally in verse 17. And I think this forms something of a structure as well as a big idea to this entire psalm. Because in the midst of human wickedness, the righteousness of God remains true. Let me just say that again, because I think it's really important for this psalm. 
in the midst of human wickedness, the righteousness of God continues to remain true. For the presence of evil doesn't so much as nullify God's righteousness as much as it does to confirm it. I realise that's a pretty big thing to say, but have a look with me again at what David writes. The first point is that he makes is that we should find our refuge in the righteous God. This is the truth which is outlined in verses 1 to 9. Notice that the scriptures always acknowledge the presence of evil in this world. There's no denying it. There's no minimizing it. Its presence is obviously there. The first thing we need to decide, though, in response is, who will we go to for help? And the answer that David gives is clear and unambiguous. He says in verses 1 and 2, O Lord my God, I take refuge in you. Save and deliver me from all who pursue me, or they will tear me like a lion and rip me to pieces with no one to rescue me. The imagery here is almost identical to how the devil is described in 1 Peter chapter 5. There, remember, we're told that our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Peter says that we are to resist him, standing firm in the faith, because we know that our brothers and sisters throughout the world are undergoing exactly the same kind of trials and suffering. I think that's really helpful and actually comforting to hear because it's not like our suffering, friends, is ever unique. People, the people of God always have, and until the Lord Jesus returns, always will endure this kind of suffering, this kind of opposition. It's not unique. Just because you experience opposition doesn't mean that God is not in control, and it definitely doesn't mean that God doesn't care for you or love you. None of those things automatically follow. When people oppose us, though, it's tempting to doubt and to think that we have nowhere to go, that our enemy is perhaps even too strong and that we're going to be completely torn to pieces. Are you ever tempted to think like that? Well, the first thing we need to do is to find refuge in the Lord. Because he who is for us is greater than anyone who can be against us. At the same time, though, look at what David says in verses 3 to 5. Because it's a wonderful corrective against being deceived by our own self-righteousness. For sometimes our problems, sometimes our problems might be because we're actually at fault. Maybe we've done something wrong to another person and are rightly experiencing the bitter consequences of our own actions. In the light of that possibility then, David asks the Lord to hold him accountable. That if he is guilty of wrongdoing or wronging another person, then that person may be proven right. 
What an incredibly scary but humble prayer to pray. And it should rightly, I think, make us temper our anger or maybe even our zeal to be vindicated. Because which of us could say that we're without sin? It should especially make us, I think, more merciful, even to those whom we might consider to be our enemies, so that we might be treated in exactly the same way. David is so confident in his own righteousness, though, in this case, that he asks for God's anger to rise up and overrule against the extreme anger, the rage of those who are against him. That in his divine righteousness, the Lord would decree justice, in verse 6. That he would rule over them from on high, verse 7. And that he would judge him according to his righteousness. That he would bring to an end the violence of the wicked, in verse 8. These, all of these requests are a practical expression of what it means to find refuge in the Lord. What we need to do, friends, is to pour out our hearts to God in prayer. To explain to him the injustice of our situation and for ask for God to act. But this means not giving in to fear or despair, but to put our hope in God alone. To find in him our refuge It's what it means to find our refuge in him rather than to be overwhelmed by the circumstances which are around us. And again, can I just say, the wind and the waves really are there. They're things if we just looked at on their own, we should rightly be alarmed by. But we know, don't we, that we have one who is greater than all of these things. The wind and the waves are often still there, even though God has the power to calm the storm like that. Sometimes, though, what he wants to do, I think, is to use that situation of the storm to deepen our faith in him. To use the presence of the wind and the waves so that we depend on him and we rely on his strength rather than our own. Sometimes, too, that can happen through circumstances, financial difficulty, sickness, or especially opposition. If you're going through a trial or a difficulty like that right now, can I just encourage you that the Lord has not forsaken you. He loves you. He cares for you. And he's even using that difficulty as painful and as scary as it is, to make you grow into his image and likeness. To grow in a way that you wouldn't grow without that difficulty. Because even his choicest servants like David have gone through seasons where they have gone through or had to endure extended seasons or times of opposition from their enemies. 
We see also this expressed in Jesus' interactions with the disciples. At the start of Matthew 14, he put them into the boat and he didn't come to meet them until when? Until the fourth watch of the night. So according to Roman time, that would be between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. in the morning. Now that's a long time to wait. They would have had to experience by God's own plan and Jesus' own set purpose, this period of emotional isolation, not having his presence physically with them, as well as all of those difficult weather conditions as well. But incredibly, that's all part of God's plan here. Jesus knew what he was doing all along. Our Father in heaven had a purpose which he was achieving through this particular trial. And I think we need to keep on remembering, friends, that opposition and and suffering and, yes, even difficulties of one kind or another are part and parcel of the Christian life. That the Lord even orchestrates our circumstances so that we deliberately go through them. That's not a mistake. It's not somehow God has, you know, his hand has slipped off the wheel of ruling the universe. The big question that we need to answer when the time of testing comes, though, is whom will we go to for refuge? Will we really trust in the Lord at that point? Or will we doubt and lose hope like Peter did? Or will we fix our eyes on the Lord and keep on walking towards him, even though the wind and the waves are all around us? It's amazing, isn't it, in this passage in Matthew 14. The disciples only have to cry out to Jesus and in his mercy and his great, he immediately reaches out and catches him. It's not like, you know, Peter even goes completely under the water and he has to, you know, pull him up coughing and spluttering. Immediately he's there. We can trust in Jesus, friends, because he is such a powerful and loving saviour. All of which brings us to the second point. And that is, just like the Lord Jesus Christ, David knew that he was going to receive justice from the Lord. That's the truth of verses 10 to 16. David says, My shield is God most high, who saves the upright in heart. What a great image that is, that God is our shield. All those fiery darts from the evil one or whatever opposition that you might be facing, God's the shield that protects protects us. God, he says, is a righteous judge. (coughs) Pardon me. A God who expresses his wrath every day. What David is expressing here is what gives us hope, I think, in the face of opposition. Not only do we believe that God is our refuge, we also believe or we know that we have a God who hears and sees everything. As we read back in verse 9, we have a God who searches everyone's hearts and minds. We have a God whom one day will judge all of that. 
perfectly, even though the human judges of this world miss it. That's a comfort. We're told in Romans 12 not to repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful, Paul says, to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And then Paul says this, Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord Almighty. That's why we're not to take revenge, because God says, I've got this. I'll do it. And I'll do it much better than you ever could. Sometimes it seems, doesn't it, that our enemies get away with their sin. And to be sure, in his kindness, tolerance and patience, the Lord always gives people time to repent. Praise him because none of us would be here without that. But that doesn't mean that he will never judge or punish. We shouldn't make the mistake, friends, that God's mercy is a sign of him not being willing or able to act in judgment. The Lord can and does both of those things, David says, each and every day. He intervenes in our world with all kinds of disasters, both natural and human. What's more, the Apostle Paul tells us, and this is quite mind-blowing when you really think about it, Paul tells us in Romans 1 that God's wrath is being revealed from heaven right now. How? By God handing us over to sin. That too is part of God's judgment. By taking away his restraining power of grace so that we do whatever our sinful hearts want to do. That's an expression of God's wrath. And it's actually a manifestation of God's judgment. For when we reject the truth of his existence, God actually hands us over to do every kind of moral wickedness and sinful depravity, such that we even affirm of those who do it. That's part of his judgment, is when we lose all kind of moral perception and spiritual sensitivity. That's his judgment. But that said, in his kindness, God gives people, even our enemies who do us harm, the opportunity to repent. And that's why his judgment, at least not his final, perfect, complete judgment, is ever immediate. Because God, Paul says, is so patient, he's so tolerant, And he's so kind that he gives people time to come to their senses, to turn from their sin and to find his mercy. To acknowledge the error of our ways and to seek our refuge in him. What if people refuse to do that though? Thankfully we as Christians have 
been brought by God's grace to that point where we find our refuge in Jesus, where we can sing, as we've already sung this morning, oh, the beauty of God's love and the wonder of his, of his forgiveness. What happens if people keep spurning that, though? Well, David says the sword of his judgment becomes all the more sharper. The bow of his punishment, all the more powerful. Just think of the analogy that David outlines in verses 14 to 16. Just cast your eyes over this. And the time that it takes to do them. Being pregnant with a child is a process that takes normally around nine months. Digging a hole or a pit takes a lot of time, obviously, and effort. Setting a trap for an animal to be captured requires much planning and care. But each one of these things, David says, is ultimately pointless because there is a righteous judge in heaven who judges justly. The pregnant plans for evil miscarry and prove fruitless. The hole that is dug for the enemy becomes the pit that they fall into themselves. And the trap that is set becomes the very thing that ensnares the one who set it up. It springs back. It recoils back on them. Evil never prospers because we have a God who judges in perfect righteousness. And while David says, <coughs> pardon me, that God expresses his wrath every day now, there's going to come a day when his judgment is going to be perfect and it's going to be complete. Because let's also face it, sometimes it seems in this world people get away with it. How many of us have had to go through business dealings or court cases where you want to cry out for justice, don't you? Oh, if only the judge knew exactly what this person had done how they tried to rip me or my family member or my friend off. There's going to come a day where the God of heaven who searches hearts and minds, where people have to appear before him. When every evil deed will be brought to account. One of my favourite songs um, is called Sinner Man by, you may know this, by Nina Simons. It's an older song. I've been listening to it quite a bit over the holidays. <clears throat> and it's this frantic piece of jazz music which actually talks about the final judgment of the Lord. Uh, you hear it sometimes on the radio, particularly if you're hearing those stations that play old music. But it's a song, actually, if you listen to the words carefully, where she asks, where are you going to run to to find refuge on the final day of judgment? That's all the song's all about. Because if you don't make Jesus your refuge in this life, then at that day, the rocks, the sea, and even the Lord himself will turn you away. And the only one in Nina Simon's song, and she's right about this, the only one that welcomes you on that day is the devil. It's a powerful piece of music which expresses a deep and profound theological truth. For if you don't find your refuge in the Lord now, then you won't be able to find your refuge in the Lord then. There is a day, like in Noah's day, 
where God shuts the door, where it's no longer possible to go into the ark. How should we respond then to the knowledge that this is going to be so? Well, obviously there's two ways, isn't there? Number one is to repent and find refuge in the Lord, to turn to Jesus and to trust in him for the salvation which he freely offers. It doesn't matter how long we've been turning away and running away from the Lord. He freely welcomes all who turn to him now. That's what we've been learning throughout this entire psalm, isn't it? Come to me, Jesus says, and find refuge. And I will freely forgive. I will freely welcome you in, no matter how long you've rejected me in this life. That's what Jesus is saying. But the other answer is here for all of us. And that's turning to verse 17. If we truly believe all of this to be the case, then we should give praise to the righteous God. David says in in verse 17, I will give thanks to the Lord because of his righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. Can you do that? Thankfulness and praise is the ultimate expression of what it means to have faith in God. Thankfulness and praise, I think, is the sign that you've found your refuge in him. If you haven't truly trusted in him, then you don't know the joy of that acceptance, the freedom of that forgiveness. But if you've come to Jesus and you've found your refuge in him, all of a sudden your heart wants to sing. That's why one of the most beautiful things that we do each week is that we, we give praise to God, don't we? We, we sing. That's not natural. Yes, the wind and the waves are still there. But you can sing in the midst of the storm. Because so is Jesus. Jesus is there. And he's not a ghost, like the disciples first thought. He's not a figment of the imagination, but a real and living being who is both God and man. And so if we keep our eyes fixed on him, we can walk through the danger of any life storm. Because my brothers and sisters in Christ, God is real and God is faithful. Listen again to what God says in Isaiah 43. This may be the very word you need to hear today. But now this is what the Lord says, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. What a great promise that is. As we just sung just a few minutes ago, when when my feet tread the verge of Jordan. Do you know what that's referring to? When we are lying on our sickbed and we're dying. When we pass through the river of death, there my anxious fears subside. Death of death and hell's destruction land me safe on Canaan's side. 
It's saying, bring me through the river of death and then plant my feet firmly in the promised land of heaven. And we can have joy and confidence knowing that Jesus has gone through the other side. He's won that victory for us. The prophet Isaiah says, when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Saviour. What a great promise. Again, what a great, beautiful illustration that even God's judgment we no longer need to fear because Jesus has gone through it for us. He's become our saviour that rescues us from the flames. Now, if he does that, friends, for the great day of judgment of his wrath, how much more anything we might go through on this earth? That being the case... What have we really got to be anxious or scared about? No wind or wave is greater than the power of God's love. Nothing can happen to you or I outside of his sovereign plan and the protection of his net that is under us. That trial, yes, even that trial you're going through is part of his purpose to grow you into the image and likeness of Jesus. So let me encourage us. Don't give up. Keep trusting in him. Keep stepping out in faith. He will catch you. Don't give up hope because we have a righteous God who will never let those that he loves fall. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for speaking to us through your word this morning. We thank you that you are real, that you are alive, that you are powerful, but most of all, you are merciful and loving. Thank you that even while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, you made us alive in Christ. We want to thank you and praise you that you are such an incredible saviour. Lord, as we go through life right now, there'll be many of us here this morning that are really feeling the burden and the weight, and indeed, yes, the fear of our circumstances. Lord, as real and as painful and as scary as they are, help us to fix our eyes on Jesus, to keep walking towards you, trusting you that we know there is a net underneath us in which you will never let us completely fall. Lord, as scary as our circumstances are, help us to lift our eyes to you, and Lord, we commit our circumstances into your hand. And, and with the Apostle Peter, we cry out, Lord, save us. Rescue us from our situation. But Lord, deepen our trust and faith in you. And we ask this, Lord, for the glory of your name. Amen.